Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. And you are the sports reporter for whom? The Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene. Sorry. There, there you go. I'm just gonna make, my, my brain's not all in work mode right now. <laughs> you are on vacation, and, and we appreciate you taking some time to join us today on the show uh, because you do have – you're, you're getting some well-deserved vacation before Titan season starts and before the Pred season starts. Uh, so we do appreciate you hanging out with us, of course. Here's the thing. We are going to have – some we've been teasing like announcement stuff on the show right we are going to have a large announcement next week on the show we have a like a smaller announcement but an equally exciting one today on the show we'll do that coming up in just a second we are going to project the predators starting lineup today and then tell you where we think they are better which could be obvious for some situations tell you where they where they might be worse and give you an entire breakdown of the starting lineup for the Predators and, and sort of explain, all right, here's where they are going into the season. Uh, where, again, better or worse, net negative, net positive, line by line on offense, line by line on defense, goalie situation, coaching, everything. We're going to do the whole deal. So that's what we're going to do today on the show. Before we do that, of course, Michael, pay for good journalism. Of course, you got go go read the scene in the post. Subscribe to all the other great shows at 440 Sports, but check out the YouTube page. However, Gold Standard is brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. So that's important to note that Jaspers is, in fact, our title sponsor on the Gold Standard. That the parking is still, in fact, free. That the food is, in fact, still wonderful. There's a grab-and-go market and a free game room and all kinds of other amazing things you can enjoy while you go to Jaspers. It's a great place. You can buy a Gold Standard cocktail and drink a, a cocktail named after a podcast. Who would have thunk it? It's a great, <laughs> it's a great, It's a great world we live in. That is that is not happening. That's not changing. That's not going anywhere. Jasper's fully committed to the gold standard to you, Nashville Predators fans. They are a huge partner with all Predators fans in the market. And so they are a big part of this show and will always continue to be a big part of the show. However, for our tiny announcement here, Michael, we now have a second sponsor on the show. Are you ready? Do we need a drum roll? If you if you have one. I don't have one. <laughs> our second sponsor. On the product, the gold standard, now joining us for the hockey season, Weiss Liquors on Gallatin, a liquor store to go with a restaurant and a sports bar. That's called Synergy, locally owned for almost 100 years in Nashville, one of the most recognizable signs in the history of the city. They are located right there on Gallatin on Main Street, right there by downtown. Go to Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors. They will deliver booze to your front door, Michael. In as quickly as 20 minutes. That's got to be the best part about living in 2022, right? Is you can have booze <laughs> liquor delivered to your front door. You don't even have to leave. There's not a better part of life in 2022 <laughs> than having Weiss Liquors deliver booze to your door. Let them do the driving. You can do the drinking. Go to Weiss Liquors. Uh, and of course, for all of you that, that, that live in, in and around the area by Weiss Liquors, of course, which is right downtown, also in East Nashville, if you go and you pop in and you buy some booze, just tell them, just say 440 to them. Hey, can you put it on the 440 account? You'll get 10% off. That's basically tax-free booze. So welcome. Of course, give them a follow on Instagram, at Weiss Liquors. Uh, go check them out. They are a great and wonderful partner of the National Predators and, of course, now the Gold Center Podcast. So we are now brought to you by Jaspers and Weiss Liquors. How about that, Michael? There you go. All right. Food and so, drink. So so go, go check it out. Uh, all right. We're going to go line by line. We're going to project the starting lineup. We had a little bit of conversation about who the top line should look like for the Preds last week. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more. And then the second line, we're going to do third line, fourth line. We're going to do top six defense pairing. 
We're going to do goaltending and coaching staff. Where are they better? Are they the same? Where are they worse? And project the starting lineup. So let's let's go with the, the first line. For my side of the exercise, I put Granlin at center in the top line. I know you don't. I know you know. I we talked about it last week. You believe that that Johansson, Forsberg, and Duchesne is the best line. I don't disagree with you. What do you think John Hines will do the majority of the season? Oh my gosh. I, I wrestled with this for this podcast, trying to figure out, and I did a deep dive into some of the numbers. And I think I have an answer that probably satisfies you more than it satisfies me. Cause I want so <laughs> badly for Forsberg, Johansson, and Duchesne to be the top line, just because I feel like they just, they feed off each other. They work better together. I, I kind of, I kind of feel like if you want to score more goals, which obviously that's the goal of any team, I think that that should be your top line going forward. But looking into the numbers, I feel like the, the analytics, and the stats kind of support Grandlin in that top line role. And looking at kind of when they played last year, Forsberg, Johansson, Duchesne, they played roughly about half the amount of minutes that Forsberg, Grandlin, and Duchesne did. So obviously you have the, the chemistry and the kind of the how much they've been playing together. And then looking at centered by Grandlin, they had 78 goals for and 503 shots. Centered by Johansson, they had 29 goals for on 352 shots. So roughly you're looking at an 8% shoot 8% shooting percentage with Johansson centering the line and a 15% shooting percentage with Granlin centering the line. Wow. I think that right there shows that you're basically doubling your amount of goals and you're doubling doubling the amount of times you're scoring basically with Granlin centering the top line over Johansson. So I think for that alone that was enough to kind of sway me. And I, even though I love Granlin and Niederreiter together and we talked about why last week, I love those two together and if you put Granlin on the second line with Niederreiter, I think that's still going to be a good line. But I think the numbers kind of support Granlin keeping Granlin centering that top line. So this to me is the ultimate question about almost, I, I don't know if it defines the upside of this team or not, but I think it's going to be a big deciding factor. 42 goals, 84 points for Philip Forsberg, 53 assists for Mikhail Granlin, who almost, if, it not, if not for Roman Yossi, almost broke the single season assist record. 43 goals, of course, for Matt Duchesne, 86 points. Both of those records, of course, at the time for the National Predators. My question for you is how is it possible that that group could be better? I, I don't, I think you have to expect a slight decrease, a net negative from that three threesome at the top of the lineup. They could still be great. They could still have a 40 goal score. They could still be a great number one line. And this team could still be second place in the central division and go on a cup championship contending type of run. I, I find it difficult statistically from a probability standpoint to say they will be as good in 2022 and three. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like expecting 40 goals out of both Forsberg and Duchesne again is, is probably a little bit of a pipe dream. I, I, out of both of those players, I could say Forsberg probably would be the better bet for that. However, Granlin has shown that he is he's more of a playmaker than a goal scorer, as is Johansson, but Johansson has that little bit more of a scoring edge to his game. Um, the only thing I think that can make them better, and looking at when they played together last year, they played 723 minutes over 65 games. The, the only way I could see that being better is if they played together consistently 75 to 82 games somewhere in there, if they basically played together the entire season. Because there were there were a couple games where Johansson was centering that line, and that's how the starting lineups were. There were a couple times when when that top line wasn't working, and they pulled Granlin down to the second and put jo Johansson up there. So I think the only thing that can make them better is if they have a full season of playing together without any interruptions, without any, any lineup tinkering. Which we know John Hines, that's not going to happen. So 
I, I think that both Forsberg and Duchesne will kind of regress a little bit. But hey, if, they, if they're putting up 30, 35, 38 goals somewhere in there, somewhere in there, I think most Preds fans will take that. I, I think like 35 to 38 is a reasonable expectation for both of them. Yeah. And if that happens, that would still be the second best season in the history of Predators hockey. Exactly. In terms of, in terms of one line's production. So I, I think fans should temper their expectations with some regression to the mean while also understanding that it could still be one of the greatest offensive lines in Predators history. So to me, that is the, the nuanced approach to looking at the top line, still a great top line, still one of the best in team history, but I think you're asking too much for them to, again, for Granlund to, to challenge for 55 assists for Forsberg and Duchesne to both be over 40 goals. I just don't see it. So. Yeah. And I, and I will say if you're, if you're one of those, if you're John Hines and you're lobbying for a grittier, harder to play against, not give up as many goals kind of lineup. Maybe Johansson is your best bet on the top line because the offensive numbers favor Granlin. The defensive numbers favor Johansson. Because if you compare them line by line, granted, the Granlin line played double, almost double the minutes, but they, they gave up 187 high danger chances for. The Johansson line only gave up 129 high danger chances for. The Johansson line gave up 35 high danger goals for, whereas the Granlin line gave up 44 high danger goals for. So, I mean, you're looking at it and you're looking at Johansson centering that top line. That's that's the better bet for a more sound defensive line. If you want the offense, you want the goal scoring, the Granlin's probably your best bet. And I think that's kind of pick your poison. If you want to be a more offensive team, go with Granlin. If you want to be more sound defensively, go with Johansson. I think it just kind of depends on how John Hines wants to stack his lineup. Well, and that brings us to the second line, which right now is Nino Niederreiter, Ryan Johansson, Philip Tomasino. And in that situation, and I think you could argue if Grandlin was the second line center as well, that it, 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 even if Johansson doesn't hit 63 points, Philip Tomasino had, had 11 goals and 21 assists last year. Nino Niederreiter gets to 20 goals, you know, more seasons than not. So I, I just think it's almost impossible to argue that this line isn't significantly better, regardless of who's the center. But definitely if it's Johansson with Niederreiter and Tomasino, you are giving Tomasino the space and freedom to operate with his skill while Niederreiter plays in the front of the net and Johansson is digging out the puck and, and bodying people along the boards and playing in the dirty. Like To me, that line, it, it is so definitively better that while we can expect some minor regression with the top line, I, I, don't, know how you, I don't know how you describe anything but significant improvement from the second line. Yeah, and I think ideally that's kind of that's what you want if you're John Hines. That's the, the the ideal second line. You want someone that can be the net front presence and can go score those those greasy goals. You want a playmaker at center that can feed it to the guy in front of the net. And you also want a playmaking center that can feed it to a guy, a sniper like Tomasino, who's probably gonna have a lot more freedom, a lot more creativity on the outside or on the faceoff dot. Heck, wherever he wants to 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 shoot, to escape from and shoot around, I think they're gonna give him that kind of freedom. And and then the way I look at it. Even if everything else was a wash and stayed the same, you're swapping out Luke Cunnan's 13 goals and 22 points for Nino Niederreiter's 24 goals and 44 points. That alone right there, you're, you're getting double the production. I know that they played a little bit different systems and Carolina's far better than Nashville is and stuff like that. But just the caliber of player, the upgrade that Nino Niederreiter is over Luke Cunnan, I think, is what makes the second line exponentially better than they were last year. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, what do you think are reasonable expectations for Niederreiter and for Tomasino statistically? I know those are the traditional stats. They're not the fancy ones, but like just traditionally, like is 20 goals something I can expect from Tomasino? 40 points is 20 goals something we should expect from Niederreiter? Are those reasonable expectations? Not not over 
the moon expectations, but reasonable ones? I believe so. I mean, if you look at Nino Niederreiter's career, he's, he's, I think, 25 goals is the most he's scored in a season. He's usually been around 24, 22, somewhere in there. So I think in the 20, I'll say 22 goals, being oddly specific, 22 goals and 45 points for Niederreiter would probably be good. Ideally, you want him 20 goals, 40 points in that range. I think Philip Tomasino, if you, and this, obviously this depends on John Hines not tinkering with the lineups and going Peter Laviolette every game. But I think if Tomasino is regularly playing on that second line with Niederreiter and Johansson or some combination of Granlin and, and all that, I, I think 20 goals this season is realistic for him. And I think he could get possibly up to that 50-point mark. I think that's a little bit lofty expectations for a second-year player. But I think Philip Tomasino, is, he came along exactly how you wanted last year. And I, I think he got a really good season out of him. I think the way he's developing, you play him with a playmaker like Johansson, and I wouldn't discount, you know, maybe five to ten assists from Tomasino coming from just giving the puck to Niederreiter in front of the net. So right. I, I, I don't think 50 points is out of the out of the question, but I think 20 goals is, is probably the benchmark you're looking for Tomasino. Is 150 points from this line possible? I mean, if Johansson goes 60, Tomasino goes 40, Niederreiter would need to do 50. I'm not good at math, but I think that's the number. <laughs> I mean, obviously they have to average 50 apiece. Yeah, we, Johansson could easily top that by ten or fifteen points. You know, I don't. I, I think that's a. I think that's so, sort of a lofty goal, but I think one hundred and fifty points is not out of the question. No, I think it's probably more like one thirty, but you know, give or take. Yeah, I mean, I think it's okay. So, is it doable? Yes, it's definitely doable. And we have seen from Ryan Johansson that if he's playing with the right players, that he can put up points. We saw last year he had like a kind of a renaissance, 26 goals, 63 points. That Those were the most goals that he's had since 2014, 2015. And those were the most points he's had since 2018 when he had 50 assists. So Ryan Johansson has shown that he is a caliber of player that can put up those kind of points. You have to keep him with the right people. And I think it's the consistency is, is yeah. the key to this because last year, I mean, he played with almost half of the lineup, if not more. The year before that, it was hard to find like back-to-back games where Ryan Johansson had the same combination of line mates. And I think that's why we've seen him struggle last year, 63 points before that, 22, 36. And it's been hard for him to kind of get that consistency. I, I think it's possible. I think Johansson would have to replicate his year last year. I think Niederreiter would have to have probably close to a career year. And I think Philip yeah. or Philip Tomasino would probably have to kind of come along and do what you expect from him and do a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that seems, you know, that probably feels optimistic and is like best case scenario for this line. Yeah. Is it doable? I, yes. Is it probable? Probably not. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tomasino, if you got to 18 goals and 40 points, I think that would be, I think people would say that's a that's a step in the right direction and a good and a good season. That'd be more scoring opportunities, uh, along with a little bit more, you know, on the offensive side. I think 40 points is good. I think that's a reason. I, he should hit 40 points. If he's as good as he was to play at that age and to score 31 points at 20 years old, like the guy should be able to get to 40 and continue to grow and turn into a true goal scorer on the second line, uh, especially yeah, if you're playing I with kind of, with Niederreiter. I kind of expect, and I, I hate using player comparisons because no two players are alike, but I kind of expect Philip Tomasino this year to kind of be like Kevin Fiala was in 2017-18. He had 23 goals and 48 points. I think that's yeah. kind of a good measuring stick of what to expect out of him because 
that year, that was Kevin Fiala's second full year in the system. And he was, I think he played with Johansson for a lot of that year. And I forget who the second line center was, but they, he had, Fiala had a very similar role. They were trying to bring him along slowly and not hype him up, but you could see the potential flashing. And then he kind of unlocked it a little bit. 23 goals, 48 points, pretty good for a second year player. We all know what happened the year after when he got traded and stuff like that. But I think I think Kevin Fiala's 2017, 18 year is kind of a good benchmark for what to expect out of Tomasino this year. Was that was that like a Sissons Benino like rotational? Yeah, I want to I want to say he played I'm, with Johansson some and Kyle Benito, Kyle so. Turris maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think Kyle Turris might have been in there as well. I mean, that was what five uh, years ago. It's hard to keep track of. We've blocked out for this team, but I think it was a mix of Johansson and Turris and a little bit of Benino. We, we we've blocked out all. Kyle Turris content from our brains. Yeah, there's a there's cuss no, words in Nashville. There's no question. Um, all right. Third line unchanged, but here's, what's cool about this. Uh, and I want to know, like, obviously you got Trennan Sissons, Janot on the third line, critically important line. If you want to talk, we can touch on the Trennan arbitration right now. They're going to actually, they're, they're in the process. By the time you hear this, it's probably already been decided. Um, so they, they, they should have some number directly in the middle of the two disagreeing and it should be signed. Hopefully a two year contract, not a one year deal. Um, and so uh, we're assuming that he's signed for the sake of this conversation. They scored 48 goals last year on the third line. Um, Trenton had 17, Janot had 24, second best ever in, in, in Predators h- history for a rookie. Sissons actually, his production was actually down last year, but he was, it's because he was playing a different role, which I think yeah. is perfect for that line. So here's my question like, do, is it reasonable? It's reasonable to expect young players like Janot and Trenton to improve. Is it reasonable to expect more goal production specifically with those three? Like if they got to 48 goals again, I think I would be totally fine. I don't think I would expect more of them, but I think the line itself as a whole shift in and shift out should be better because they are so, because the two wingers are so young, right? Yeah. And I mean, you look at the year that that Tanner Janot had, it's hard to, to sit here and to demand more from someone who led all rookies in goal scoring. But you look at his season, 24 goals, 41, uh, 41 points. I think the potential is there for him to get up close to that 30 goal mark. I don't I don't want to put the, those kind of expectations on Tanner Janot, but I think if he scored 30 goals this year, I would not be surprised. But I think Tanner Janot is probably consistently a 25 goal, 50 to 60 point player. And you look at Yakov Trenin. He only had 24 points, but 17 of those 24 points were goals. And it, what's crazy is I feel like Trennan, he when he scores, it's kind of like it comes out of nowhere. Like you, <laughs> you're very aware of him, and you know, like this this kid's dangerous. Watch out for him. But it's almost just like, oh, Jakob Trennan just scored. How did that happen? It, he's he's the most aloof goal scorer I've ever seen on this in this franchise because when he scores, it's almost like you you didn't see it coming. And I feel like 17 of his of his 24 points were goals. There's obviously room for improvement there too. I think Trennan could is someone who could potentially be, you know, a 20 goal score year in, year out, kind of like Nino Niederreiter is. I yeah. think given that they scored 48 last year, if if they obviously take their next step in their development this year, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they get close to 60. Obviously, you'd like to see Colton Sissons produce more than seven goals and 28 points, and I think they could. Um, but I think I think 60 goals would would be attainable for that line. All right. Well, if that if they get anything above 48 again. Because uh, again, I think the the holistic game of Janot and Trennan should only continue to evolve in a positive direction. Does that need to translate to specifically goal scoring improvement? I don't think it does. I I, I think yeah. you're you're adding Niederreiter. You've got now s- top six forwards that can score. 
You might have Ellie Tolvanen scoring on the fourth line. We'll get to that in a second, putting up more points. Like, so I, I don't think that the goal scoring growth is the thing you're focused on here. But if they dominate every defensive zone, they win a bunch of faceoffs, they start every period the same way they did, they're a tone setting line. I, you know, all the fights, all the majors, all the penalties, all the enforcement that they do, uh, they, there's no way that they're not, those two wingers aren't better yeah. as a whole, as holistic hockey players. I don't, I think 60 goal. I think you're, I think that's a little high for my blood, little risk for my blood. Well, you also got to keep in mind too. I don't know how the exact numbers, but Tanner Janot went scoreless in like his final twenty games, that's, and David Poyle even called him out um, in the in his post game press conference, saying that you know Tanner Janot kind of went cold a little bit towards the end of the season, and I don't know how many goals Jakob Trenin didn't or how many games Jakob Trenin didn't score, but down the stretch that line stopped producing offensively, but it was you didn't notice it as much because the defensive part, the forechecking, the roughhousing, right. like all all the all the physicality aspects that you wanted the Predators lineup, they still had that going for them. So I, I think it was kind of quiet that Tanner Janot didn't score in like 20 games or whatever, because it's like, oh, he's still getting into fights. He's still right. knocking people on their ass and stuff like that. So I think, I think. Fecal agitation, goals, fecal agitation, Michael. Yeah. I think 60 goals could be a little bit, a little bit lofty for them, but I think it's definitely doable just because I feel like we didn't really see the best version of Tanner Janot over the final 20 games of the year. I think Colton Sissons is definitely capable of more than seven goals. I think he probably should be around 15 goals per year. So okay. say say he does that, you give him another eight goals this year, you give Janot another three or four, and you give Trenton another three or four, that puts him right around 60. So what we're saying on the first line is about even, slight net negative. Second line, definitely improved. Third line, definitely even with a slight net positive, right? Is that where we're at yes. so far? Yes. Okay. Which brings us to the fourth line. And now it all goes to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you've got two spots filled right now with Ellie Tolvanen and Cody Glass. I think that is the, at least that is going to be the goal going into camp for the Predators is to have Cody Glass on the fourth line and Ellie Tolvanen on the fourth line with some other player. I don't know if that's Novak or Samford. I don't know what you've got projected on that line. But to me, if Glass and Tolvanen realize potential and develop, especially their their pedigree as far as their draft profiles and their their actual physical talents, then I think the fourth line will be improved. They will actually have provide a little bit of scoring punch. And in the modern NHL, having a little scoring punch from your fourth line is okay. is a good thing now, almost required by the best teams. And so then I could say this line could be better, should be better, will be better. If Tolvin and Glass do not develop, and we don't know who the other winger is for the vast majority of the season, this could be a significant question mark and weak spot. Yeah, and that's that's what I kind of went back and forth with when I was putting together what I thought this fourth line should be. Because there's there's a couple different ways you can tinker with it. Ultimately, I think it will be Zach Sanford, Cody Glass, Ellie Tolvanen. However... I think you can make the case that maybe it would be a little bit stronger and it would probably be a better two-way line if you had Cody Glass on the wing with Tolvin in and then you had it either centered by Michael McCarron or with Tommy Novak. And it was crazy because Tommy yeah. Novak, when he called him up, I don't remember how many games he had. I think he had like 10 or 12. He played really well. And then for inexplicably, he got sent down and then Michael McCarron came up. And Michael McCarron played okay. He got into some fights. He's a big guy. That's kind of what you want, that physical presence. 
So I think it just kind of depends on what John Hines wants out of that fourth line. I think the goal scoring potential is there with Glass and Tolvanen, regardless of who plays with them. But potential, that's like that's the most dangerous word in the NHL. Potential got Colin Wilson almost a decade here. It's <laughs> kind of and I feel like we've been saying that for fairly Tolvanen for four or five years now. And it's crazy. The kid's only like 23. still. Um, but I think Glass and Tolvanen give you that kind of goal scoring potential yeah. that you want out of that line. And then I, I think McCarron's probably your best bet if you want to keep it a physical kind of defensive line. It's funny. Like I, I hadn't, I guess when I wrote it down, I sort of just was like searching for that other winger. But if you have glass and Tolvin on the wings and you can play more of a two way physical defensive game by putting Novak or McCain McCarron in the middle, I kind of like Novak in the middle with Tolvin in and glass. Like that could be a sneaky, good collection. McCarron is certainly a bigger, more physical presence than, yeah. than everybody on the team. I feel like um, Novak and, and Tolvanen played really well in the few games they played last year. Plus, they played together quite a bit in Milwaukee as well. So so let's say that group sticks together. It's it's Tolvanen, Novak, Glass, with Glass and Tolvanen on the wing. Is that better than what they had last year at, on the fourth line? It's hard to say. I want to say it's, it's, it's even, but I lean a little bit toward it being a little bit weaker than la- what they had last year only because we don't know what that is. Last year, you pretty much knew what it was going to be when you had Michael McCarron, Ellie Tolvanen, and Nick Cousins out there. I'm not a big fan of Nick Cousins. I don't. It still irritated me that they got rid of Rem Pitlick to keep Nick Cousins on this roster. I think that was a boneheaded move by David Boyle. <laughs> yeah, I get but, that. I, I agree with that. But I think I think we kind of knew what to expect out of that line. So until, I'll, I'll say, I think they're weaker than they were last year, but I think there's... I could be convinced otherwise within like five games that they're better. Cause I think that the potential for this fourth line this year is way better than it was last year. Yeah. That, there's that old potential word again. Uh, yeah. What other, I mean, Afanasiev, what other pieces are going to be battling with Sanford, McCarron, Novak? Like who, who are the other guys that we need to consider yeah. at, that could end up working their way in and taking that starting spot? I think McCarron and Sanford are definitely your front runners. I think Marcus Nermi is someone to look at too. Yeah. He was in development camp. They signed him. He's he's on their actual NHL roster. Um, he had 20 goals and 39 points in 56 games in Liga last year, which is the top finish league. I don't see him really competing. I think I think he's more of a, an AHL depth player. You look at John Leonard. They got him in uh, the Luke Cunning trade. He he's only he's only got four goals and 15 points in 44 career NHL games. I don't see him being a factor, but I think the fact that they got him in that trade they might try to make it happen with him i don't know um and i think someone else that i'm i'm carl taylor really convinced me that jimmy huntington could be someone <laughs> to watch. listening to the gold standard you guys had him on a couple what, a month and a half ago he had seven goals and 23 points in 34 games with the admirals i don't think he's going to be the next tanner Janot, but i do think he he could follow a similar trajectory of being that kind of unknown guy give him a shot in training camp and next thing you know the regular season's here and he's still on the roster and you have no reason to send him down i'm not saying that's going to happen but i could see jimmy huntington getting a shot at some point and then him giving the predators a reason to just not send him down so i would i would keep an eye on huntington as well but i think i think mccarran and sanford are probably your two best bets and then two other guys i would watch out for i know there's like eight guys for this one spot on the fourth line which is funny Igor Afanasyev is NHL ready right now. You cannot convince me otherwise that he's not. I think. Why would he not make you know, the team then? 
because it's that argument of is he better served playing top line minutes in Milwaukee or is he better served playing eight minutes on the fourth line here? And I think right now, with just how congested the for- the forwards are, he's better off playing top line minutes in Milwaukee, getting that regular playing time. He's too good of a prospect to just give him seven, eight minutes a night on the fourth line. And I think someone else to watch out to. This is who I, this guy right here, Yuso Parsonen. This is who I think is the perfect ideal fit on the fourth line because he's, I think he's like 6'3", 200 pounds. He's, he could be a good, solid power forward. I think he could give you 10 to 15 goals, 30 to 40 points. I think he's someone that would fit the physical kind of nature of what they want to do, but also can give you some goal scoring that McCarron and Sanford probably can't. That's who I would look for. He's also on an entry-level contract, so it's not going to cost them more than you know $875,000 or whatever they're paying him. I think he would be an ideal fit on the fourth line. I don't think that he would be ready by the regular season, but I think 30 games into the regular season, if they still haven't found the right kind of formula for that fourth line, he's someone who could definitely get a call up and could fit that fourth line role. The uh, the offensive projected starting lineup for your Nashville Predators is of course brought to you by Jasper's over on West End. Free parking, great food, big friends, uh, big friends of the pod, and friends of the Predators fans. Um, gold standard cocktail, great happy hour, great game room. It's all free, so go check out Jasper's. Uh, do you believe that? Because like last year they had guys like Cunning and Cousins, like guys that had played a lot of NHL games. Not a ton for Cunning, obviously, but I felt like they had more experience. They are clearly better in the top six, but. But from a depth standpoint, let's say, let's say top twenty forwards in the organization. So you know, you start, you start with twelve that play each night. Let's say top twenty. Where where was the where the top twenty was at this stage last year entering camp versus the top twenty going into this stage? Because again, you've mentioned Afanasiev, Parson, and Huntington, Novak, McCarron, Glass, Tolvanen, and Sanford. All could be competing for like two spots on the final line. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel like there's as much competition for roster spots in the starting lineup in the top three lines. Where's this group one to 20 or one to 18, let's say forwards from last year to this year. I would say a step behind where it was last year, simply for the fact that while cousins and Cunning didn't really do much last year, they had the NHL experience. They, they still served kind of serviceable roles on the team. I mean, I just mentioned it like David Poyle wanted to keep Nick Cousins on the roster so much that he just exposed Red Pitlick, who I think at the time was the number four, number five ranked prospect in their system. Like we're talking about a really good prospect who went on to have a really good 20 so games in Minnesota and then finish off the year really strong in, in Montreal. I think they're a step behind where they were last year, just in terms of experience, kind of just I don't know, I, I feel like. There's more potential, and I hate that word, but there's more potential out of the forward group this year than there was last year, but it's unproven. So yeah, until yeah, it is yeah. proven, I will go with last year being a step above where this year is. Okay. I think that's fair. We'll get to defense, goaltending, and coaching in just a second. But, of course, the gold standard is now still also and additionally brought to you by Weiss Liquors over there on Gallatin in East Nashville. Um, Uber Eats, search Weiss Liquors. The booze will come right to your house. If you go in to buy some booze in person, which is also a good way to do it, Say 440 at the cashier checkout there, and they'll make sure you get 10% off. So basically tax-free booze at Weiss Liquors right now. Locally owned and operated in Nashville for almost 100 years, 1932. Um, and of course, just, um, again, support local businesses. That's what we are here at 440, and that's what we do. That's what the post and the scene is all about. So it's all about supporting local business. So go check out Weiss Liquors. Uber Eats, your booze to your front door, folks. I don't know what else you need to tell people here. 
uh, on the podcast. So let's get to the defense here. And I the, the, the fun in this is projecting the starting lineup. And I want to – we talked about this when during the McDonough pod, Michael, but I think um, here's what I – Here's what I put out there, and I think I can make the case that the top two lines are better because of it. I I want left-handed Ryan McDonough to play on the left on the top line. I want left-handed Roman Yossi to play on the right side of the top line because of his pure skill and talent and ability. I want Matias Ekholm, right-handed Matias Ekholm, to play on the right side of the second line and right-handed Alex Carrier to play on the left side of the second line. So Yossi and Carrier... <laughs> with their incredible skill, talent, speed, skating, and hands to play on opposite sides of their natural position to put McDonough and Ekholm into their natural positions and let them be enforcers with the two small, speedy guys that can play opposite of them. And to me, that gives the Predators an incredibly balanced offensive and defensive top two blue line pairings. Before we get into if that's better or worse or right or wrong, just what, what do you make of of that arrangement atop the, the Preds blue line. I, I can get behind it. That's not where I would go, but I can get behind it. And I think it's, it's because really whoever you play with Roman Yossi, he can make it work. Whoever you play with Matias Ekholm, he can make it work. But I think, I think, so looking at this, Ekholm and Carrier, when they played together last year, they allowed 45 goals on 599 shots. Those of you that are bad at math, that's that's they've allowed goals on seven percent of the shots that opposing the opposing teams took. They only allowed five hundred and fifty-three scoring chances, which that seems like a lot, but over the course of the season, that's that's pretty good. They only allowed nineteen high danger goals on one hundred and seventy-six high danger chances, so that's roughly about ten percent. And the UC Saros, or I guess David Riddick, had a ninety-two point five save percentage when that was the defensive pairing on the ice. I think those numbers suggest that Ekholm mm. and Carrier could be a very, very good second pairing. Yossi and, and McDonough, I think, could be good as well. You're making I, my case for me. And I had this in my Ryan McDonough story when, when they traded for him, that I think McDonough is kind of the stay-at-home prototypical defenseman, kind of like, I don't know, like Shea Weber. And when Shea Weber and Roman Yossi played together, that was a really good pairing. I think McDonough can be the stay-at-home defenseman that can kind of sit back, make sure nothing gets by, and that can open up Roman Yossi to be more creative. I think if that's the pairing, I wouldn't be surprised to see Roman Yossi with 80 points, 90 points, maybe flirt with 100 points next year. However, I think Ryan McDonough and Matias Ekholm on the second line is the best way to go. I, 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 I don't disagree with, with your point, but I, I, I think that there's a better option out there. So let me ask you. So then what you have is a very offensive skill heavy pairing in Yossi and Carrier, but they're playing on yeah. their natural sides, right and left. Then you have a very defensive heavy, big physical, a little bit more. I want to say plotting is not the right term, but that's you're going to have a, a slower, more traditional defensive pairing, but two big physical towers together, but also then playing in their natural left, right positions. Yeah. My first question is, Aren't both of those options better than last year? No oh, matter, no, no matter what they do, they're better than last year, right? Yeah, and, and I don't mean this as a knock on Dante Fabro, but if Dante Fabro is not playing on your top two pairings, I think that's a win for this team. Okay. So why do you do? I guess my brain goes to balance, and it's the same thing with the, the, the 
the Johansson Grandlin discussion. It's like, how do I spread out the talent? Like to me, what I love is the Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer combination. For those that do not know what I'm talking about, that is late nineties, New New Jersey devils trap trap style hockey. But you had the dude that you did not mess with on defense. And you had the dude that made shit happen on offense. And to me, that's one of the first pairings because that's when I started kind of watching hockey was like the early nineties that I remember just being, Oh, I get it. That's how dynamic a pairing can be when they fit together and their skill sets are complementary. That's the only reason I go that direction. Maybe that's the wrong line of thinking. I don't know. No, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. And I totally understand. I understand wanting to do that. And there are very much, there are very, there's a lot of reasons to want it to go there. And I, and I completely understand that. My line of thinking is you play Ekholm with McDonough. They both ranked in the top eight last year in shorthanded minutes played. They were one and two in shorthanded time on ice per game. Ryan McDonough statistically was the best penalty killer in the league last year. He logged the eighth most penalty kill time in the NHL, and he played the fourth highest percentage of his team's penalty kill time. So you're looking at he played 65% of Tampa's penalty kill time last year. Because of that, and, and I just go back to the 2016, 17, 18 years when they had P.K. Subban playing with, with Matias Ekholm. That was the shutdown defensive pairing. Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi, very great defensemen. But whenever yeah. Sidney Crosby was on the ice, it was Subban and Ekholm that were out there trying to shut that line down. And I think we, we watched it for, for three years. Well, I'll say two years. It got them a President's Trophy. It got them to the Cup Final. Having a shutdown defensive pairing is what got them there. They, they got rid of Subban. They haven't really been good very sen- ever since. I think having that kind of shutdown defensive pairing with Ekholm and McDonough. And also, Ekholm is kind of more of a defense a defensive defenseman, but he he's also really good offensively. He just trying to cover and mask Dante Fabro's flaws and stuff that kind of takes away a little bit of his offensive game. I think playing with Ryan McDonough could open up Ekholm a little bit more offensively. But I think just the combination of those two on the ice together it's going to be awfully hard regardless of who your top line is to go out and score on them because of just the dynamic they bring both in, in playing shorthanded minutes on and on the penalty kill. That's, that's why I would go with that. But also okay. I can be convinced if you put McDonough and Yossi together, I'm not going to complain about it. I think that's a fantastic defensive pairing as well. Yeah. I just, and again, this is, I can't wait to see what, what Heinz does with this, with this group. Cause I do think no matter what they decide, their top pairing is better than last year and their second pairing is better than last year. And I think that yeah. is now, again, if it ends up being Yossi and Carrier, that's basically the same. So you can't really say better. It's sort of the same, but your second yeah. pairing is significantly better. So the, the group as a foursome is better no matter what John Hines decides to do. I guess in theory, you could also play Yossi with Ekholm and that would be their natural positions. And you could play McDonough and Carrier and that would be their natural positions. So in theory, that's the other combination of, of the four of them, and that's the one we haven't talked as much about. I guess you could do that. You're just putting the really young guy and the, the older guy on the same line on the second line. And, and again, then you're also splitting up the, the, the offense and the defense in theory. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's, that's a bad idea. I think the argument against that is Yossi and Ekholm have more experience and more time in the system, more, more time working with John Hines, that, and, and, and Ekholm's, or Carrier is still 25. I think you would want him with one of those guys to kind of bring him along. And McDonough would be a fine mentor, but this is his first year playing for the Predators. This is his first yeah. year kind of getting acclimated. And I think I think if you want the best out of Alex Carrier, putting him with Roman Yost is probably your best bet. Yep. I, I tend to I tend to you you can convince me. I, I'm okay with that. 
And I think um, I think the way John Hines likes to play, having a shutdown defensive pairing like Echelman McDonough probably looks awfully enticing to him. All right. But I if, could, if he wants the goal scoring to go up, maybe he puts McDonough with Yossi. I could see I could see I, I totally buy into what you're saying. And There's no not, wrong answer here. Yeah, I would not be I would not be disappointed. Uh all right. Jeremy Luzon is basically your your starting left. Uh, defenseman on the third pairing. The question is: Is it going to be Burrow Cop, Mark Borowiecki, or Dante Fabro? I'm assuming if you're playing a bigger, more physical game, it's going to be Borowiecki. If you're going to play a faster game, a faster team, you're going to go with Fabro. Um, the fact that, that they've made moves to the point that Dante Fabro is now potentially your seventh defenseman is seems very odd, just to say out loud. Um, I guess I don't. I did not see a lot of like flashy moments from Jeremy Lazan in very limited time but they gave him a four year, $8 million deal. Like they clearly believe in his development and that they can do the work to get him where they need to be. Uh, is it that simple? Is it Luzon and Burrow? Is it Luzon and Fabro? What's what's going on on the third pairing? I think the third pairing is going to be situationally specific. I think if you're playing a team like the Dallas stars or the Anaheim ducks that like to be a little bit more physical, you're going to see more Vietsky. I think if you see a team like Colorado or St. Louis or Minnesota, that's built more with speed, you're probably going to see Fabro. And I think that could be a dangerous game to play because you're not really getting consistency and stability with that third pairing. But I think that's kind of what you have to do until one player kind of separates himself and proves, Hey, I should have this job. And this other, this other player should not be, this shouldn't be a competition. And I, I also wouldn't rule out. There's still plenty of time before the season starts. I wouldn't rule out Dante Fabro being a part of a trade. If they go out and look for another forward. Just yeah. because you look at him, he's been he's been here three, four years. He hasn't really established himself as kind of a really good defenseman. I think he's he's okay. He's a former first round pick. I think it's time to the Predators either need to cut their losses and get rid of him, or he needs to prove to them that he deserves a spot going forward. And I think this is the year that Dante. I think this could be Dante Fabro's last year in Nashville. What's interesting about tra- a trade for getting rid of Fabro is that, that that means you've gotten rid of you've gotten rid of Myers, Benning. Fabro and Ference all in one offseason. And Davies that and Harper as well. But that ben feels Harper's like a lot of that's right, Davies. That feels like a lot of depth to be gone yeah. off your team. And what's um, that, crazy about that is John Hines said he called David Ference and Jeremy Davies last year NHL defensemen that are playing in the, <laughs> in the AHL because we don't have a room for them. And they just uh, let them both go. Uh the must must lie situations, uh, Michael. That's that's what they are. Yeah. Must lie situations. Um, I don't know. What were your thoughts on Luzon just in limited spot duty? I thought I saw when I watched Philip Myers play, I thought that dude is too slow. It doesn't make sense. I did not see that from Lausanne, but I also saw him fall down a lot <laughs> and just, and sort of just like, maybe that's just an acclimation process and he's still young, but obviously they believe in him. So I, so I guess overall, are you saying that this third pairing, because I thought when Benning and Borowiecki were healthy and on the ice, that was a pretty good third pairing for this team. I would say this is right now a net negative. If Lausanne and Fabro are established as a third pairing and can develop their young talent then i think much like the fourth line on offense this could be a net positive yeah i i think right now it this is a net negative but i do think there is a potential for it to be a positive and i you look lozon 6'1 205 pounds like he's got the big body and the big frame that you like on that third line or the third pair and i, I don't know the exact number but he i think he ranked in like the top 20 or top 30 in hits among defensemen last year which is why they went out and they got him when they traded for him from seattle i want to say he was like sixth among defensemen in hits you, you go out and you get jeremy lazan because he's that physical presence borvietsky is also that as well 
Fabro is kind of the more offensive minded one of the, of that of those three there. Um, I think he's only 25, so I think the goal is to bring him along with him being your your third line, your third pairing anchor for the next four or five years. Um, so I, I don't. I think his job is pretty safe. I think Borvietsky's yeah. only got one year left. It could be one of those things where they don't want to get rid of him. They want to keep him around just for this year. Um, who knows? Maybe Dante Fabro comes out and he shuts everybody up and he has the awesome <laughs> of his life and he turns into Matias Ekholm. I don't know, but I, I think if I'm, he's got, if I'm he's got the he's got the ability. Yeah, if I'm looking at this, I think potentially the best combination is Lozon and Fabro. But I think right now, in terms of doing what a defenseman should, stopping the other team from scoring, I think your best bet is Lozon and Borbieski. Yeah, I tend, I kind of tend to agree with that, which is just insane to think that Fabro is like a luxury piece. But who knows? Uh, all right, so positive, net positive, net positive, net negative for your three defense pairings there for for Nashville for now. Uh, goaltending, if it's Ingram, it's a net positive. Saros and Ingram is a net positive. If it's you, Michael, and it's Saros and Michael Gallagher, it's a net positive. If it is me and UC Saros, it is a net positive. I do not think there's any other name they can put in there behind UC Saros and have it be anything but a net positive at goaltending. Even if they brought David Riddick back? No. <laughs> that might actually be a negative. He was he was he was awful. And I hated when, the, when we did the It's All Your Fall podcast, like Megan would always somehow find a way to ask me about David Riddick so she could watch <laughs> me go off about how bad he was. But yes, I think I think regardless of who they put back there, it is a positive because David Riddick was so bad. And I'm not, for those of you that didn't really follow him last year, I'm not just harping on him because I don't like him. He had a 3.57 goals against average and his save percentage was 88. And I'm not saying it was barely 88. And we don't not like David Riddick the person. We yeah. like David It's other than that one game against Florida, <laughs> they, they, he basically, and then I guess he had like a half a good start or whatever near, near the postseason at the end there. But like, basically he just wasn't good at his job and that, yeah. that's just, that's just the way it is. So I don't think we I need feel to, like spend... we shouldn't, we shouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't have to talk about this with, with a person. We're talking about the, the athlete, obviously, but <laughs> right, right, right. it just in, sounds, in... it sounds a lot Ben Harper ish though. When you start talking so negatively about one player, yeah. it feels like you're picking on a guy and Ben Harper was that guy last year as well so there's only one player and i and i distinguish when i say look he was not a great person and that was ryan ellis because ryan ellis was a bit of a douchebag when he was here especially to the i he's hard he's he's hard he's a tough nut to crack man there's no question about that i mean john glennon he's no nick one of the nicest guys ever and ryan ellis gave john glennon shit one time because he did not like the way a question was phrased and ever since then i've looked at ryan ellis in different light because after that he was just kind of he was just kind of a jerk yeah. And I'm, I, you know, I, I did not like Yannick Weber being on the ice as a defenseman, but he was a super nice guy. I love talking to him. He was very nice <laughs> to me. I just didn't think he was a very good hockey player. So yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt, that's like my matter when I've done multiple radio shows with matter when I love matter when I think he is one of the best people you can ever talk to so insightful and thoughtful and fun and engaging and just a great conversation and great everything. And then I'm like, but I'm yeah. not sure I, but I'm not sure I want you playing defense on the team, dude. Like it's exactly. Just, it's not, we can separate, we can, we can compartmentalize yeah. uh, co- coaching staff. I'm, I'm going to say even here uh, on the coaching staff. Do you have any, anything to add to that? No, I mean, it didn't really change. So, yeah. yeah. So here's, here's what I got. I want to, we know the team is better. We we've raised expectations for this team through the off season on last week's episode. Stay tuned next week for a big announcement, by the way, check out the podcast feed, make sure you're subscribed, all that good stuff. Go to Weiss Liquors. And of course, go to Jasper's. Here's what I've got. Basically first line, even Slight statistical regression. Second line, 
double positive plus plus improvement on the second line third line about even with some potential to grow because of youth fourth line potential but right now a net negative because of the uncertainty positive first line pairing defenseman positive second line pairing defenseman positive goaltending probably a net negative currently because of unknowns on the third pairing but still some potential there and the coaching is about even so other than your third pairing on defense and your fourth line on offense it feels like almost every piece of this team has improved. And that is why, of yep. course, we think they are closer to the top of the division than they have been in years. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a very good assessment. You, I mean, really the only two areas I think you could say are negative from where they were last year is the fourth line and the third pairing. That's just because they're unknown. They start off the season as a negative, but they can turn into positives very quickly. And I put some I put some numbers together to, to try to drive this point home. So the Predators lost Lou Cunning, Nick Cousins, Matt Benning, Philip Myers, Ben Harper, Matt Luff, and David Riddick. So they lost 26 goals, 66 points, and 356 shots. And all those players combined were a negative 45. And I know people <laughs> get it, people get into arguments about plus minus rating. When it's negative 45, that's note that's notable. You add Nino Niederreiter, Ryan McDonough. Zach Sanford is who I'm kind of penciling in on that fourth line, and Kevin Lankinen. And the goalies are kind of a wash. Lankinen's much better, and he's a lot younger. You're adding 28 goals, 74 points, 248 shots, and a plus 42 rating. I mean, Nino Niederreiter alone, his 24 goals and his 44 points, makes up for the production you lost from Nick, Cun Nick Cousins and Luke Cunning combined. So basically, in one second line player, you're getting you're getting more than the production you got of the second line player he's replacing from last year and the fourth line player that we're arguing about who's going to take his role this year. I think that right there, sweeping all across the board, that shows they are better, way better now than they were last year. I don't think they're going to challenge for the division. I, I still think they're probably third place right behind the Blues, but I think they're at least in the conversation of being in the top three teams in the Central, which is what you want. Given the way last year ended, this is what you wanted. David Poyle, the only thing I said, could have made this a better offseason if he would have got Matthew Kachuk, and the cards were just not in his favor there. I think this was this was a home run offseason for David Poyle. I know all the people out there that hate him, no matter what he does, they're always going to hate him or going to disagree, but the guy couldn't have done much more this offseason. I tend to agree, and I was one of the guys that said, it's time for Poyle to slide aside. He then went on to make a bunch of moves that have made this team significantly better, or at least better, yeah. Um, in, in our eyes and it, it allows them true. yep it allows them to progress this season with a little bit higher expectations but you know what comes with expectations pressure and yeah. that's what that's what's going to happen and uh when those when those season ticket prices keep going up you better keep winning games so uh all right we'll let you go here michael thank you for giving us some time on your vacation man we really appreciate it check out the post check out the scene you can follow him on twitter at mg sports underscore Michael Gallagher, everybody. You can follow me, Braden Gall, at Braden Gall. Go to Weiss Liquor, save 440 Sports, get a discount. Uber eats some Weiss Liquors as well. And if you're going out to dinner, make sure you swing by Jasper's for free parking and great food. That just about does it for us. Thanks for hanging out with us. Big announcement coming next week, so stay tuned. Turn on those notifications. This has been the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network.